Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, the legend, John Hollinger, is in the building. John, how you doing, man? I'm I'm doing great. You got to be careful introducing me that way because people who aren't paying attention are going to think you have John Legend on the show. And then when they find out it's only me, they're going to be horribly disappointed. What if we find out that John Legend's middle name is actually Hollinger? Then we're just like, fucked. <laughs> like totally. <laughs> that so, would be a development for sure. <laughs> so what we're doing today is I've been pretty transparent with the listeners that I have been on vacation uh, up until this past Monday, and I've mostly been focusing on evaluating college kids while not watching as much basketball as I typically do. I've watched something like so only like four games a day. Uh, you know, I was on vacation for like two <laughs> and a half weeks, and I was probably watching two games a day. Okay. Uh, maybe right. a maybe like a game a day, or in some cases, like during the holidays, like zero games per day because I was spending time with my family. So, sure, I would say I've watched something like fifteen NBA games this year so far. So, like, not okay. nearly enough to like have anything resembling expertise in what's happening league wide right now. Mm-hmm. Mostly the only team that I feel confident talking about is the Warriors because I've just been riding the wave of betting Warriors games because, uh, they were way overvalued when Draymond Green was out and then they got way undervalued when Dre came back in. So it was a very, very good way to, uh, to pad the wallet, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel good about talking about the Warriors, but that's really the only team that I feel like I have any expertise in. So I'm having John on today to get me up to speed in terms of what's happening, because I know the general storylines, but I feel like I'm missing some context. So the first okay. question I just have for you, John, is that there's been a lot of discussion about why there are so many blowouts in the NBA so mm-hmm. far. What's happening here? Like, I kind of feel like it's just because guys are working their way back into shape and teams are quitting on games earlier. Like, does that, does that hold up for you? There's, there, so the, the numbers say that there's a let go of the rope phenomenon happening this year that has not happened in past years, which is that teams get down by maybe, I don't know, 15, 20. And then usually there's the so-called rubber band effect, which is that, if a team has a has a lead of that size, the game actually tends to get a little closer. Um, mm-hmm. And usually it's it's what you might call a dead cat bounce, right? Like it doesn't mean anything. It's just that, you know, the guys were playing to the score and kind of the winning team takes a couple possessions off. The losing team tries a little harder. And I think what may be happening is that uh, because there is no crowd at these games, there isn't quite that factor of well, I'm getting embarrassed in front of 20,000 people. Um, yeah. I, I'd like I'd be interested uh, in studying further the the psychology of all this, but I do wonder if there's some of that because there's been a lot of avalanche games where a team gets down twenty and then the big run happens, <laughs> right? right? And then yep. all of a sudden they're down forty. Uh, yeah, Clippers, in, Mavericks in, in, from in one the first case week. at yeah. halftime, right? Yeah, and so. Uh, I, I there is some of that happening. The rubber band effect is becoming a uh, it's, instead of the rubber band effect is becoming like the rubber the rubber Super Bowl or whatever that like bounces out <laughs> instead of inward, right? So uh, that that's probably the biggest thing we're seeing. I mean, there's definitely some there's probably some randomness. There's probably something to do with the more we become three point dependent, the more variance there is in the scores, but. I think the biggest thing is if you just look at what happens when the score is X, there actually is a rubber band effect when the lead is still uh, within a margin where you have a plausible chance of catching the other team. But yep. then once once you get into the high teens and 20s, then it goes the other direction. So I guess that my question off of that then becomes – how difficult do you think it's going to be this year to determine the pretenders from the contenders, right? Like Orlando right now is five and two. Like, I don't 
like Orlando is going to be tough and competitive because Steve Clifford is just not going to allow them to be anything else. But trying to figure out if they're actually like a potential top six team in the East, which is kind of loaded, or if they're going to like kind of fall back down to earth feels pretty tough. And uh, I know that a lot of Orlando has been like schedule based so far, but yeah, I feel like it's going to be really difficult to determine the extent to which like each team is who they are. I feel like we're going to need an even larger sample size than we typically need to determine who is real and who is fake. And that Ben Falk's numbers over at cleaning the glass uh, where he takes out garbage time. Those are going to get a workout this year. It feels like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be teams with like 12 minutes, <laughs> right? The count. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like it, it's, that- it's tough. Yeah, so I think it makes uh, the job maybe a little harder. Like, how do you evaluate, like, the Clippers and Mavs, for instance, who, ironically, if you throw out the game where the Mavs had the historic ass-beating of the Clippers, the Mavs have been completely one direction, and the Clippers have looked like the best team in the league other than that game. So uh, it, it does make the job more difficult. The other thing that makes the job, I think, a little more difficult is that we're probably going to have more COVID absences in addition to injuries, which are always a factor. Um, and then the two game series against the same team, uh, when it's early in the season and, you know, you might've played 12 games, but four of them were against Cleveland. Then, you know, what does that mean? So I'm just using Cleveland randomly. They've, they've been fine. I'm not using them dismissively or anything just against any opponent there there's going to be that factor uh you know miami has played six games but two of them are against milwaukee right so how do you evaluate how they look so that makes it harder too uh you know i just wonder if like if the especially if the the crazy blowouts settle down i think it might get kind of back to normal pretty quickly but if we keep having like these random interlopers where the margin is plus or minus 50, that then the job gets more difficult for sure because we're used to looking at a team's scoring margin and just kind of knowing like, okay, they're a little fluky. Okay, they're they're probably more for real. And that guidepost is maybe a little bit less helpful this time around. So let's maybe move into like the conferences, right? It feels like to me the East looks pretty loaded like Brooklyn right now sitting at three and four and like one of the games I watched was Brooklyn on Christmas Day and they looked fucking incredible right like uh, I watched their opener they looked amazing and when they've been healthy and with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving they look like a real contender I think the Sixers uh because I watched their game from last night against Charlotte they look really good I think that they're probably a real contender in the East it feels like the East is even deeper at the top this year than what we've seen. And then on top of it, there's a better middle class as well because Atlanta has gotten better. Chicago has competent coaching. Uh, Washington at least has like Russell Westbrook, who's going to raise your floor. Do we feel like that is correct? Do we feel like the East is kind of catching up a little bit to the West right now? So it is an encouraging start for the East because they're not getting their asses kicked by the West <laughs> when they play head to head, right? Sure. Which is which is the thing that we've always seen the last couple years. Um, you know, I, I think Philly has looked really good. I think Milwaukee looks like Milwaukee. Uh, Indiana has actually looked pretty low-key, pretty strong. Yeah. I think there are a couple of insurgents in the East when you look at Atlanta is definitely better. Orlando looks a little feisty so far. Cleveland maybe might be able to do something here. Um, even the Knicks, I mean, you, you, you know, you know, the Knicks will shoot themselves in the foot somehow, some way, but I mean, the, the, these first seven games have been pretty solid. At the same time, uh, Toronto looks like complete shit. Uh, Boston does not look particularly good. Uh, Brooklyn, as good as they look their first two games, then turned around and lost to Charlotte and Washington in games <laughs> that Kyrie and KD played. So, uh, I, is, is the top really stronger than it has been? I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I will say, like, 
it does appear that the eighth playoff team in the East will be an actual legitimate playoff team, <laughs> which <laughs> which we haven't always seen, right? And and so they do have that going for them. Uh, it's definitely stronger, and I, I think there are a few teams in the West that are maybe not off to great starts in comparison. Uh, you know, we'll see how this shakes out when we get you know maybe five, ten more games under our belt. But really, in the West. Like the Lakers still look like the Lakers, the Clippers, but for one awful day, look like the Clippers. A lot of these other teams are scuffling along. So I'm interested to see how, how this looks as we go deeper. It may, it may be a rare year where the East ends up being stronger than the West. So let's focus on focus on a few teams that you mentioned in the East. So I have not watched Milwaukee save for like a little bit of the Christmas Day game. Where do we think Milwaukee is in terms of gelling uh, with Drew Holiday's addition uh, and in terms of their adjusted depth thus far? Yeah, uh, so I do think the depth is still going to be an issue for them all season. Uh, defensively, they haven't been as good as they were a year ago. And I haven't watched them enough to know if they're trying different things or if that's just people have figured out how to attack their drop coverage better. Like when I watched them against Chicago, it was just Brooke Lopez playing his drop coverage and Kobe White just had no answer against it at all when he, you know, <laughs> he tried to turn the corner and just would either throw up slop that was contested by Brooke or get a shot block from behind or not really have anything open. It was like it was a mess. It was perfect. You know, it was a perfect execution of their defense. But you also want to see them do other things besides that because they need other things in their bag for the playoffs. Uh, the thing you're excited about for Milwaukee, their starting five is good. Like, uh, Dante DiVincenzo is a good player. Like, that, that, I thought the biggest problem with that Bogdanovich trade they wanted to make was that they were giving up DiVincenzo, who projected in my numbers at least to be a better player and was making a, a fraction of the money and is younger. And so far that's borne out in, in reality this year. And so I think that starting five is really good. They've actually gotten some okay minutes from Bobby Portis, although him and the drop coverage, like he's just toast. Like they don't feel him at all. Um, you know, Forbes, Connaughton, Augustin, like that's okay. Like it gets, it gets you by if you also have Giannis, Middleton and Holiday on your team, but it's, it's certainly not a strength. But again, you get to the playoffs, they're going to be counting on those five main guys and hopefully, you know, they'll play more than 30 minutes a game this year. Yeah, I mean, that's always going to be the question is how does Budenholzer adjust and how does he uh, dole out the minutes in the playoffs, right? Like he, he needs to actually just get past that at some point and be willing to play guys yeah. 40 minutes a night. Uh, yeah, I actually, I sneaky think that they're okay depth wise, like at least in terms of what it says on paper. Uh, they could use another defensive option, I think. Like, I'm still trying to figure out why Tory Craig has only played two games. And again, like having not really watched them, that is difficult for me. That's uh, yeah, that 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 one's a little weird. I thought they would have him more in the mix right from the get go just to have that option in their bag. I mean, they, they love having all those three point shooters out there. He's a tough guy to play with Giannis, but I thought he'd be playing the non Giannis minutes as a defensive stopper. Yeah, and I think that you can like pair him at the hip with Bryn Forbes and DJ Augustine, right? And he he can provide the defense that those two really don't. And I actually kind of sneaky really like Bryn Forbes. I think he's a good NBA player uh, who's a perfect fit in this scheme. So I, I think Milwaukee's going to be okay depth wise, but I'm excited to dig more into them going forward. The one of the other teams, like I watched the Knicks last night. They looked surprisingly competent. Uh, I've watched like one other Knicks game too and felt like they looked surprisingly competent. Uh, it's crazy that like just bringing in Tom Thibodeau basically has resulted in this enormous leap of no longer looking comically inept, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, sure. Reggie Bullock wore the wrong number and it probably wasn't even Reggie's fault. It was probably the equipment guys and that was laughable yeah. and of course it was laughable but like they look really feisty i guess in a way that most Thibodeau teams do and that's very interesting and like rj barrett looks good 
Like he looks really, really good. And I never left RJ Barrett Island, I will say. So I, I like that sign, but I, the Knicks look good. And I'm, I, I want to give the Knicks props in case this changes by mid season. Like they tell yeah, them to know done a great so job. I, I would come at this with more tempered enthusiasm, I guess. No, um, and that's where I'm at, too. They, like, let me be clear. So, yeah. when, when I watched them, uh, the Indiana game, uh, was that was that who they played? Um, like, their defensive pressure in the fourth quarter was, was really impressive in the way that they wouldn't let them get into anything and run stuff and... And and so that was like okay this is this is something different I'm not watching the Knicks here um, at the same time uh, opponents are shooting 29.5% from three against them which is just the three point guard gods waving their magic wand and that's not going to hold up uh, so so we're going to see some of these results shift when that happens I would say Barrett has been okay like he's still basically a bad shooter. Um, and he's he's doing more stuff in the flow of the game, and it's still kind of hard for him because there's not a ton of shooting around him. Uh, but they're playing a lot more through Julius Randle, and Randle has been a lot more uh, capable as a distributor, uh, even though his turnover rate's kind of through the roof. Uh, and so, so I think that's helped them offensively, giving them a little bit uh, more of an identity. And then... Uh, we're going to end up eating it on Emmanuel quickly because he's got point guard in him that I did not see at all at Kentucky. You think so? I, again, like I watched them last night, like I'm intrigued, you know what I mean? And, and he looked good last night, but I feel like it's going to be one of those situations where teams like kind of figure this out with him because he's not athletic enough, I don't think. I, so I was very worried about him as a, as a wing, certainly, if he could not play point guard, uh, because I, I thought he was small and not that athletic and that his craftiness would only get him so far. But I think as a, if he can get the ball up the court and get you into the offense and now he's a 6'3 or whatever he is, point guard who's, uh, has a genius for drawing bullshit fouls that is, is that is like true Kyle Kyle Lowry <laughs> level is a 21 year old rookie I mean that so that that's something to build on there and I I think he's at least uh make like I, I don't know if he's going to be like good with a capital G but there's there's something there right he's He's at least going to be like he's going to be better than Kevin Knox, right? Like he's yeah, gonna be, he's going to be he's going to be better than Nilakina, right? Like he's he's got a chance to be something. And then uh, you know we haven't really seen Obi Toppin. He just played twenty four minutes in the first game. I thought he looked pretty decent in preseason, so we'll, we'll see what they get from him. Yeah, and you know what? Like quickly is kind of the perfect player to match with R.J. Barrett. Like in theory, right? Uh, what they want R.J. Barrett to be. And RJ Barrett, I think the idea is that he can be something of a half court initiator. You can give the ball to, he can drive in a straight line. He can create his own shot off of a pull up in the mid range and that you hope that that can extend out to three. Additionally, he's just a really underrated passer as well. I've always really liked his passing ability, uh, mm-hmm. throughout the course of his career. So if you can pair him with quickly, who has a really good, you know, slashing floater game, who moves really well off the ball, who can obviously shoot the ball from distance and, uh, make positive decisions, hopefully hopefully while being six foot three with like a six foot 10 wingspan, the idea of their fit works really, really well together. So um, I'm excited to see that part of it. I think for the Knicks, like this roster is a lot more cogently put together, I guess, than what we've seen in the past. A little more. I mean, they're still starting Randall Barrett, <laughs> Mitchell Robinson, and Alfred Payton at the same Fair time. Fair point. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's not get carried away, but it, it it makes it makes a bit more sense th- than it did. Well, I, f- I feel like maybe this is where the Thibodeau of it comes in because Thibodeau has at least put them in positions to where they're not like like ab- actively looking terrible, right? And I realize that I, I didn't watch the uh, game last night as I'm looking through the numbers. I'm looking through the. Uh, I'm I'm realizing that it's the Pacers game that I watched. <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, the synergy gods did not treat me well in that respect. Um, 
so the last team I want to ask you about is the team that's in your neck of the woods, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, sure. The Hawks started really, really well, and I, you know, have just not watched enough Hawks games to really get enthused. But what's going on in Atlanta? Uh, is it just that the addition of veterans has really helped, or is it that these uh, younger guys are taking a leap? Like, what's happening? Because I, I just don't know. Uh, so basically, all those free agents they signed haven't done squat. Um, <laughs> Gall- Gallinari and Rondo have hardly played, and Bogdanovich has played, but he hasn't really done much on the court. Uh, and so what's happened instead is that last year's team plus Capella uh, is has been significantly better than than last year's team. Now, part of that is just, I mean, it was one of the things I wrote in Atlanta's preview, like replacing a normal center with Clint Capella doesn't really advance the ball that much. Replacing Damian Jones with Clint Capella, like that, that is massive, okay? <laughs> like that's worth several games over the course of a season. Yeah. Uh, the other big development is uh, DeAndre Hunter is one of the most improved uh, second-year players in the league. Uh, he's shooting the ball well. He's showing a lot more wiggle off the dribble, getting to the rim, uh, hesitation moves with either hand, like stuff he just did last year. He was just like very robotic, straight line, same speed uh, type of player. And he's mixing it up a lot more, and it's working. And so I would say that's been a big thing in their favor. Kevin Herter has been better. Uh, they're, so they're second in the NBA in offensive efficiency. And even with Trey Young last year, they were, uh, I forget what they were. They were, it began with a two, <laughs> but it wasn't second. Uh, it was, were they like 28th or something? 26, uh, 26th I have here. Yeah. Bad. Really bad. And, uh, now this year they're, they're really good. So, their, you know, their defense is whatever. But if you're going to score like they are, then you can make the playoffs with whatever defense. Well, a lot of it last year too was more the minutes that Trey didn't play too. Like they were abjectly atrocious in the minutes that Trey was not on the court. Uh, when Trey was on the court with the young kids, like I feel like they were, and by the kids I mean like Collins, Hunter, Reddish, they were actually yeah. like pretty good offensively from what I remember. So. Yeah, and then, and then they they were disaster bad defensively with the tray lineups and disaster yep. bad offensively in the non-tray lineups. And they have just enough now where that hasn't happened. I mean, the one thing about Bogdanovich being there, uh, and, and I mean, Herter's helped with this too, but when Trey comes out, they play Bogdanovich and Herter, and they have kind of two ball handlers out there. Uh, you know, Rondo's been out, so Brandon Goodwin's played some of those minutes too. But there's enough shot creation out there where it's not just a, a horrific mess and, you know, DeAndre Bembry going one on five and whatever uh, they had last year. I've had two separate people also text me, like, what is a Nate Knight? Uh in that he apparently looks pretty Nathan good. Knight in was the small awesome against the Grizzlies. He he was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To to the point that like when he didn't play the next game, like you know fans are like messaging Chris Kirchner, like what is going on? Fire everybody! They're not playing Nathan Knight. I was like, okay, okay. We Easy. we need to Calm maybe down. back off a touch. Um, yeah. Okay, I think that's as far as I want to go in the East. I'm going to dive deeper into like the Sixers and Pacers. And I think the Celtics, because uh, they're another team that I've watched uh, once this season, they, they look, uh, they look less enthusiastic to me. I'm less enthusiastic about them, maybe, let's say. Uh, I am, I am too. I think their, their bench is a real problem. Um, yeah. And Kemp with Kemba's knee is, you know, it's only exacerbating that they they hit on P- Peyton Pritchard like he's that, that that's going to work out. Uh, but they also, I mean, the early returns on Nesmith aren't great, so it's kind of like okay, well, you you kind of need to hit on both of them because you signed a center instead of signing any backup perimeter players. So so well, they're in a tight spot.
we'll talk about the rookies at the end because I think that that's an okay. interesting one. I want to ask you about like some of the ones that have stood out. But let's go to the West sure. real quick. Uh, I think that basically the last team I've seen a decent amount of that we'll talk about here is the Suns. The Suns okay. look very good. Like I think they're actually pretty legitimate. They look legitimately good. Yes. Yeah. I I, I completely agree with you. And you, it's another one where it's not quite on the next level, but you're, you're sort of wondering, like, how can Robert Sarver screw this up? Like, <laughs> what's, what's the move here? Uh, I thought they made a good save, uh, to bring back Kaminsky, uh, as another big. When I saw Jalen Smith in preseason, I, I didn't really think he was, he was ready for that kind of role. And, that you know their starting lineups good. Bridges I think is an all defensive player this year. Cameron Johnson's off to a really good start. Uh, so I I just think it's uh, it's just a good solid team. Now is that a top four team in the West at the end of the day? Probably not. But they I mean they are certainly a playoff team the way the way they've looked. I, I think without any doubt. Yeah, like just adding. Chris Paul really has added that extra level of basketball IQ. Like, it's not even that Chris Paul is dominating statistically, right? Like, he's averaging eight assists per game, and he's been pretty efficient uh, as a player overall. He's not, like, making a ton of shots yet, but he is just kind of added that little extra competence to the team and that little extra competence it feels like is permeating in a way where the players are all in the right positions constantly uh and that's something that's a little bit different for this team yeah it's it's helped them and then i think a couple low-key things in the backcourt getting cameron Payne at the end of last year and then langston galloway is a discount free agent uh so it's made their bench units better because they're playing well, even though Devin Booker is kind of low key sucked. And yeah, that so you know he's going to start cooking at some point. And when that happens, right? Like, watch out. Well, and it feels like him and Chris Paul are still learning how to play in the like couple of games that I've watched of them. Like, it feels like they're still kind of figuring out like okay how do we how do we share the ball do we like is it your turn my turn do we try and like you know play off of one another I, I think they're still figuring that out the other thing that is happening is that DeAndre Ayton's like good defensively now like I, last year I thought that yeah. he took a leap defensively and was slightly above average I think he's now just like good defensively and that is yeah. a real jump for them yeah, totally, totally. Especially because he's their only legit big, so he has to be good. So, the rest of the West, we've got the Clippers, who have kind of tread water, like in the couple of games where Kawhi was hurt, and obviously had that disaster blowout against Dallas where he was out. Um, they look really good, I think. Like, I'm not, again, like I've watched a game of theirs like they looked the same to me do we think that the addition of Serge Ibaka has changed anything for them maybe I mean I think maybe it's made them more threatening offensively because the middle's more open because of his shooting uh they give something back defensively with that I I thought I mean I thought Zubat's actually pretty good or little now so we'll see how that goes um they still haven't had Marcus play i don't think he's played a game yet right and so they got batum in that spot i thought that was a good pickup but he's going to be the ninth man for them in a, in a playoff game at the end of the day uh and paul, paul george is, is playing great so i i think they got a lot of things going for them if you're you know if you're the clippers you're probably you probably want to get luke Kennard going a little bit more than he has been especially with what they're paying him but I don't think you're too worried other than that one (laughs) with one glaring exception of a game. I I think you're pretty pleased with how things are going. The team that feels the most disappointing statistically to me is Portland because yeah, they're three and three, but they made a lot of moves this year to improve the defense. And just looking at the numbers, the defense looks like it's not improved. Uh, What's going on with Portland right now? I think two things are happening. Uh, One, when you change your scheme 
And when you have all the same players, that can be really hard. And I think people underestimate how how difficult that can be sometimes early in the season. And so it's a real test for poor to figure out what works and what doesn't work with this personnel. And the the other thing that, that I do see is if you're talking about your commitment to being a defensive team and you're playing Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony 20 minutes at the same time, <laughs> Like, sorry, you're you're not committed to being a defensive team. You're not. The the thing with Melo is is just getting a little nutty. Uh, you know, he's playing more than Gary Trent, and he's they're running all these post ups for him to shoot twos. It's like, okay, you know, that was fine when the alternative was Anthony Tolliver, but like now that you now that you have a real team that's trying to contend for something, like <laughs> Carmelo's got to be like your ninth man. Like, I'm sorry, like that's where he is in his career right now, and. They're still they're still acting like he's a star, and and I think that's hurting them. Uh, and then the other factor is they need Nurkic to be Nurkic, man, and it just hasn't happened so far. Yeah the the Gary Trent minutes are interesting because he's playing like nine minutes a game less than Derek Jones Jr., which like look I, I was screaming from the rooftops like sign Derek Jones to the mid level like I thought that that was a smart move for a team that needed athleticism and I liked it for Portland to take that shot but like Gary Trent is a lot better than Derek Jones like I'm sorry what are we what are we doing here like well, Gary me, can actually to me, defend it too it shouldn't even it shouldn't even be an either or because I think their best option is to play Derek Jones as their backup five like I I think that's how they should try to line up uh, rather than sending Ennis Cantor out there to get cooked every night uh, and but they haven't seemed willing to try that yeah, that's uh that's very weird to me. They all, I've seen some like clamoring for Harry Giles minutes as well, which is also interesting. He had a, he had a good Yeah, he had a good preseason. I I don't like whatever ails them on defense, Harry Giles is not curing it. <laughs> I, no. I, can, I I feel pretty I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, he was absolutely terrible for the Kings on defense every single time he stepped on the floor. Uh, really good offensive player, like really skilled yeah. and a great passer and can like really has a high level of IQ on that, on that, uh, side of the floor. But yeah, defense yeah. is not going to be a thing for him. Uh, the Warriors were really fun for me to ride the wave of because as soon as they put in Michael Moeller as a defensive stopper against Chris Middleton, uh, that's when I realized, oh yeah, this, this is probably not going to work for them defensively while Draymond Green is out. Uh, and then as soon as Dre came back, it was just like night and day. Like their defense is so much better. And I think that they're fine now. Like I think that they're probably going to make the playoffs with, uh, Steph and Dre along with uh, Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre and James Wiseman. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, I think they're going to need uh, fortunate health to pull that off. So do we have any faith in Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre or do we think that like Draymond Green is just going to continue screaming into the void uh, at them. Like, do we think that they're picking up any of what Dre is saying, or do we think he is literally just screaming into the void? Because last night, he was just like waving and screaming and yelling for them to run offense, and they were just like standing there, and then yeah, they eventually I'm, moved. I'm, I'm voting for the void. <laughs> on Wiggins, I'm all in on the void. U Ubre, I could be convinced otherwise. Oh my god. I just don't even know what to do <laughs> with them. Like there's so much talent there. Like why is why is it that these wings from Kansas can't figure it out? Like what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, Kansas wing disease. We need to study that. Yeah. Uh were you in Memphis with Josh Selby? Although Josh Selby was six one, but he played more like a wing. Josh Selby was so I was uh, only for about. I was trying to think. Was he the first player we traded? Was he in that? Um, was he in that Spades trade? He might have been. I think he was. Um, so yeah, uh, we very very briefly ships ships in the night. I love it. Uh, what I other was Western... not around for? His, I was not around for his summer league MVP campaign. So I, I missed all of that. So you ruined Josh Selby's career. Just say it. That's fine. 
I <laughs> <laughs> This is this is all your fault. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all bl- blame me. <laughs> uh, the Denver Nuggets are two and four. What's happening with uh, Denver? Um, I think they played teams, uh, but haven't looked totally like themselves. Uh, I'm so used to them having a good bench that that lifts them when they come in. That's been a little jarring to me to see their second unit struggle most nights. Uh, they're also getting lit on defense, and I I don't know where to really pinpoint that. Well, the, the thing that's like stood out to me is I I just look at box scores with Denver because again I will catch up on them at some point this week, but I haven't yet. And it seems like Nikola Jokic is just like eviscerating everyone in the NBA right now. Like he's absolutely just murdering whatever opposing defense is put in front of him. And the fact that they're still two and four seems bad. Like it seems like the Jamal Murray bubble leap did not necessarily carry over to the regular season so far yeah his first couple games weren't great he was really good against minnesota the other night um and he's only played five games so i don't know to read too much into it but they just haven't like they just haven't gotten a lot for some of these second guys like you know will barton uh showed some flashes in his first game back but then hasn't really quite put it together uh gary harris has just flat out sucked um you know they've been they've had to go kind of deeper into these guys, you know, PJ Dozier, Isaiah Hartenstein, like guys that they always had around, but were kind of like eleventh, twelfth guys, are now like guys they're counting on, which is a little weird. That said, that they should not be 29th in defense. Like there's there's more talent here than that, and I don't think the schedule has been that imposing where you could pin it on pin it on that as a factor. And like the shoot, the opponent's shooting numbers aren't that crazy either. So I, I, I've, I'm really scratching my head a little bit about now. The last time I saw them, they played against Minnesota, so of course they won. But like, I'm, I'm scratching my head a little bit as, as to what is happening there because the, the defense, like they should definitely be better. I don't know. Are, are they tired from going so deep in the bubble? still and playing all those double overtime seven game series and whatnot like did did they need more recovery time than they had i mean i suppose that's a possibility the best is that like everyone makes fun of Nikola Jokic for just looking uh not like the typical nba player maybe we'll say and he's just always the guy he's in shape now though but he's just always the guy that's ready to go man like he's yeah Every single time, he's the guy that can play 50 minutes a night like it's nothing. And uh, I love it so much. Let's do some quick awards before we let you go, John. I've got two quick categories here. Uh, And the first one is going to be awards. So who is the team that has surprised you positively the most? I would probably say Cleveland because they were God awful on defense last year, and they've been really solid on that end this year. And I think it might be sustainable. I'm a little worried about what happens when Kevin Love comes back, but I I think it actually might. They're also running out of players at the moment with all their injuries. So that said, like Cleveland, what they're doing defensively is really interesting to me because it doesn't feel that fluky. Who is the team that has surprised you negatively the most? Toronto. I I I watched them last night that they looked bad. <laughs> like that that it like offensively it is a struggle for them. They are getting nothing from the center spot. Their bench is not good right now. They have some issues there. So, like, with Toronto, I can't remember a situation where, like, we talk about institutional just, like, know-how, right? Typically, these teams that have that, like, institutional know-how where they retain the same coaching staff, retain a lot of the core pieces, at least, they don't just, like, fall off a cliff like this. Like, San Antonio, for instance, it's been gradual as they've lost players, and now they're 
gradually entering what I think is probably a rebuild for them as they build around some of these young guys. I can't remember a situation like Toronto's where it just seems like it's fallen off a cliff a little bit, right? Yeah. So it's hard if you're counting on basically a core group of six guys and two of them forget how to play basketball in the offseason, <laughs> then you're really up the creek a little bit, right? Like uh, Siakam and, and Norman Powell, it's just like the Monstars stole their talent, right? They they just haven't been able to get it done. Uh, teams have had a lot of success putting smaller defenders on Siakam this year. And he there's a good story about Jonathan Tarks uh, in the ringer on that. Uh, and, and you saw it against Boston last night. And Powell, oh my goodness. I mean, checks in, and the first thing he does is take a contested 18-foot floater um, over who do you, who's, he was trying to shoot over Tristan Thompson. I want to say, love it. it. Was, like it, like the shot had no. I'm sorry, it was Time Lord. He was trying to shoot over like the shot had no chance at all, and you know it was like early clock. We, it was it was just like what what are we doing here? Like what's going on? Um, I think they also were counting on more from. Aaron Baines, and he's not giving them anything. Who is, for your money, the best team in the NBA right now? So not necessarily who the best team is going to be, but who is playing the best right now? Who's playing the best right now? I would say Philadelphia has a case. I mean, they've come out really strong. They, it's funny, I watched their first game against Washington. Like, they didn't play well, and they just kind of, eked it out but their games since then have been pretty good i think their lineup is obviously much more coherent so i i think philadelphia this is a very believable start by them where if you told me right now this is going to be a team that finishes in the top three in the east i'd go okay like yeah sure i'll buy that who is the worst team in the nba right now wow um there's some bad ones at the bottom right now. You know, as much as everyone wants to line up and dunk on the Pistons, I actually think the T-Wolves look god-awful, um, especially with Towns being out. Like, for as long as Carl Towns is out, they are the worst team. I, I think that's clear. I just don't see a world where they defend at any point this year, right? Like, it's just going to be way too difficult for them, I feel like. Well, they they can only move up in the rankings right now. <laughs> let's put it that way. Um, let's move and finish on this rookie class, which is exactly where I wanted to finish this. And okay, you mentioned Peyton Pritchard earlier. What's happening with Peyton Pritchard? Because I watched a little bit of like his twenty plus point game last night, and. I loved Peyton Pritchard last year. I think I had him second or third uh, in my Naismith vote. Like, I definitely named him a finalist, and you only get three finalists. So, like, I was an enormous Peyton Pritchard guy last year, and I, I just worried that it wouldn't quite work at the NBA level. Why is it working so far for Peyton Pritchard? So, to me, they're letting him come in and play as a scorer. Uh, which is really helpful to him. Like I, I, act, I don't really think he's a great passer. I think he misses people sometimes, but he can come in and score, and he can shoot from deep, and he can get by people. And when he's out there, and defenses are worried about Tatum and Brown, I think that gives him more room to be kind of himself. And yeah, so far, so far, it's been it's been really good. And he's just like he's doing what he did at Oregon, basically, and he. He actually he's shown more ability to get downhill too with the floor open and get all the way to the rim, which you I mean he did it sometimes at Oregon, but you didn't necessarily see it a lot. And it's it's been a it's been a really nice start for him. It feels like a problem to me that the King's smartest player is a rookie. And like there is a distinct yeah. drop off in their play whenever Tyrese Halliburton is not on yeah. the court. Yeah, he's, you know, he's his IQ, his ability to play multiple roles in the offense, uh, the sh- shooting ability, uh, the defensively, he uh, I mean, we we talk a lot about his on ball defense, which still 
maybe isn't great, but just his length and his ability to be in the right spot, play lanes and stuff, I think has been a positive. And they've missed him since he's been out. So I, it's it's funny. Like, he he might have a case for, for rookie of the year at the end of this. We'll see how things go with it. Like, I still think LaMelo Ball is going to win, but uh, he's had a really impressive start to his year. Before we get to LaMelo, I, I want to bring up the Marvin Bagley thing. Uh, it feels like the Kings have problems right now uh, between De'Aaron Fox's dad saying to trade Marvin Bagley, Marvin Bagley's dad saying to trade Marvin Bagley. Uh, feels feels very Kingsy. It feels like even in this time where the Knicks look competent, the Cavs have played really well, the Suns look great right now, it feels important that we still can rely on the Kings to provide us with just high comedy off the court. Yeah, it's, it's rough, you know, and, and it's weird, you know, cause there's the whole Bogdanovich thing too, still lingering from this summer. And if you, I don't know if you read that interview with uh, our Sam Amick, but like, it's <laughs> that, that didn't seem great either <laughs> when he described that process. So a uh, lot, lot of weird things happening over in SAC, uh, you know, my greatest failing as an executive, though, was not getting my dad to to tweet out uh, personnel moves. Yeah, I'm going to create a Twitter account for my dad. And whenever <laughs> I inevitably leave the athletic, I love the athletic. I'm not planning on leaving anytime soon. Please sign me for a decade athletic. Um Whenever I inevitably do end up departing, I'm just going to start with a series of tweets from my father saying, trade me, trade me to ESPN, <laughs> Tr- trade me to uh, CBS Sports. I, I want to yeah. go, want to go back. Um, yeah, sure. LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball has caught on a lot quicker than what I thought. Like I had him at number one. I thought he was clearly the highest upside player. I thought that it would take some time though. He is quickly figuring out NBA basketball though like in a way that I did not anticipate yeah and that's been nice to see and I think I'll get to both Charlotte and Minnesota for bringing these guys off the bench despite how highly picked they were and just letting them evolve on their own terms and I I think that's much easier than doing what Detroit did, which is you start Killian Hayes right away and then you inevitably hit a point where you have to turn around and bring him off the bench and it feels like a demotion. Yeah. And I, I, it just it just seems a more organic way to let these guys grow and develop their games. Yeah, the, the Killian Hayes thing kind of sucks. Uh, he has not been very good so far. He does not look ready for the NBA. And Look, with Killian, it's worth mentioning that he was a turnover prone, like somewhat mess early in the season last year for Ulm, uh, in Germany. And he settled down and got better throughout the season and figured some things out in terms of the speed of the game. So I wouldn't jump ship with Killian Hayes yet is all I'm saying. Like, do you agree with that or are you just like out on what you've seen so far? I, you can't jump all the way out based on seven games when he's 19 years old. Uh, yeah. So I I am certainly reflecting on where I had him on my board and, and questioning whether I was overly optimistic, but it, it's it's way too early to, to jump ship. Yeah, I agree. Is, is there any other rookie that's really stood out for you? Let's just finish with that question. Another rookie who has really stood out for me... I mean, I guess we talked about quickly. I mean, Desmond Bain has been who we thought Desmond Bain was. Yeah. I think – no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll give you a guy. The guy who's, who has surprised me is uh, – well, a little bit. He actually – he looked better in preseason than he has in the regular season. I was going to say Maladon just because he's a second-round pick and he's a, sure. you know, still really young. The, the fact that he's been able to kind of come in there right away and look look, you know – do it do it do a pretty good impersonation of an nba point guard so far uh and and really been on the ball the whole time um that you know your mate uh jay sean tate has been pretty good oh jay sean not not only uh 
from the NBL last year, but from Ohio State as well. Just all around, we love Jay Sean Tate here at the Game Theory Podcast. So uh, I'm all in on Jay Sean Tate looking good. Yeah, I've had like a few texts from GMs just being like the, uh, uh, not GMs, just like NBA executives, just being like, yeah, the Thunder's second unit is the tank commander right now, or the Thunder's <laughs> second unit, like, is driving the tank in Oklahoma City yeah. because their first unit, like, they have Shea, they have Dort, uh, George Hill is, like, totally competent, Baisley is an interesting rookie, and Al Horford has been playing. Like, that's not a disaster situation there. Uh, yeah. Isaiah Roby has, like, shown some flashes here and there, but they're playing... Theo Maladon and Alexei Pukashevsky, like a combined 35 minutes a night as teenagers. And that seems, uh, suboptimal for winning right now. They're, they're playing Josh Hall like semi regularly right now. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. He got some, it was more garbage time because they gave up a huge run against Miami yesterday. Uh, it was like 20 to nothing, I want to say. And, you know, you know, they, um, You're right. They actually have a pretty competent starting five. And weirdly, like Mike Muscala has actually been pretty decent for them off the bench. Love it. Um, But yeah, these Poku minutes have been a screaming disaster. Uh, And then some of these other guys that brought in, you know, they changed the cast a little each game. But I mean, that's that's what the deal is. I mean, they're not going to have any trouble getting enough losses to get a high pick. Let's put it that way. Even if they try to win every game. Are they they're sending a team to the G League bubble, right? Like I, I feel like that's the to, best play. Like just send Poku I have to the to G League bubble. So. Yeah. I, I, to me, Poku has to go to the G League. And so that's the thing that would make sense. You know, send him there, maybe send Moses Brown there or Roby. But it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting to see how many actual NBA players go to that bubble because it's a hard thing to send people down to and extricate them out of. Yeah, you know, it's not like when we're sending people down the road to South Haven, Mississippi, and it's a twenty-minute drive, and we can have them right back if we need them. So, well, and like in Oklahoma City, like the blue is like right there, like it's the easiest thing in the world for them typically. So, yeah, no, yeah, it's, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting for them to figure out how do we go about uh, this season. Like, is it actually good for us just to keep Poku playing these minutes and keep losing and keep getting him experience against NBA players or? Are we just like demoralizing him on some level? Uh, I, yeah. I would imagine that that won't be the case because from what I gather, he's like a pretty tough kid that like isn't, uh, despite being skinny, like he's not someone that's going to like shy away from the opportunity, but we'll have to see how it goes. John, thank you for educating me on what is happening in the NBA right now. Uh, you've provided some important context behind some of the takes I've seen on the internet and some of the, uh, some of the box scores I've seen and just generally like some of the, uh, games that I've watched so far. So John, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Thanks for having me on your show, mate. And I hope you're enjoying your Wednesday morning. It is a beautiful Wednesday morning here. It's 10 a.m. Uh, I have to go look at a few uh, houses today because we're trying to find somewhere to live because Laura and I are living uh, with Laura's parents at the moment. So we are uh, we're, we're trying to trying to get settled here still, John. And wow. I'll, I'll have to okay. I'll have to have you back to talk about some NBA prospects because I feel like you have some NBA prospect takes that uh, you want to get off your chest at some point here, right? Yeah, I, you know, they're still developing. They always yeah. are. But, you know, I, 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 th- I think this is a discussion we should have at some point. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, my takes are still developing on this draft because it's kind of a mess right now. So, uh, yeah. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can. We'll be back later this week with more on the NBA Draft with Matt Penny. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.